Amen. All right. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we're here celebrating Palm Sunday, the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem. And it is so, so great to be here with you this morning. You may have a seat. And we are going to be in Luke, the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you've not yet uh, turned there because you've had no idea where to turn, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be looking at verses uh, beginning in verse 29 this morning. And we hope that if you have come with a friend or a family member, or maybe it's been a long time since you've been to church, uh, that you feel absolutely welcomed here and that you can feel like you're coming home where we're worshiping the Lord, where we're studying His Word. And uh, we are just so, so blessed to be a part of what the Lord's doing in this city, uh, in this community, and uh, just seeing the great things that are ahead of us as well. Remember that next Sunday, as today is what is referred to as the beginning of Passion Week, where Jesus rode in on that donkey to the city of Jerusalem, and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That was just that week before he would be crucified and then rise again on the third day. And so next Sunday is going to be our Easter celebration uh, service as we celebrate Jesus' triumph over death. So be sure to invite somebody, friends, family, neighbors, because you know Easter and Christmas are the two times a year that, that people that don't normally go to church are more inclined to go to church, and we want to share with them how much God loves them and the great plan that He has for their lives and what He already did through sending His Son, Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Next Sunday, we'll not only have our celebration service, but we're going to be having our first baptism uh, for 2015. So we're really, really excited about this, that uh, we'd be able to celebrate our risen Savior. And then even as Jesus rose from the dead, as, as people are getting baptized, symbolizing being buried with Christ and raised again into newness of life. Uh, so if you've not yet been baptized, uh, be sure to show up next Sunday uh, and, and be ready to be baptized. And, and just my random question, I mean, is there anybody that's planning on being baptized next, next, uh, next Sunday? Right on. Great. All right. Great. Cool. So um, if you, you don't have to sign up, but if you've never been baptized, this is a public declaration of what Jesus has done in your life. Uh, the Lord tells us we should be baptized, and Jesus commissioned his disciples to make disciples of Jesus and to baptize them and this is what we're going to be doing next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ so we have a great great week uh, lined up for us and then Thursday night as I mentioned this being passion week Thursday night at house groups uh, well, there's a number of you guys that are attending house groups we're going to be uh, looking at the night before Jesus uh, crucifixion, the betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to take a break from Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at this Thursday night at 7.30 at four locations in Orange County. You can find out more info if you want to get in on this. They're phenomenal. Uh, but we're going to be having communion, and we're going to be looking at, uh, from the scriptures, that last night before Jesus was crucified. And I feel it's very apropos for us, especially when we celebrate Good Friday, uh, Jesus' crucifixion, and then his resurrection on Sunday. So uh, for those of you in house groups, I uh, know that that's what's coming for this Thursday. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll start our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world, that no matter who we are, what we have done, Lord, that we can find forgiveness of sin, those mistakes, the failures, those things that we have done that are wrong, Lord, can be forgiven 
and removed from us. And that even includes the guilt, Lord, the, the, the penalty of that sin, which is death and eternal separation from you, Lord. That can be removed from us, Lord, so that we can have a relationship with you, the God who created us. And so, Lord, this morning as we commemorate Jesus' triumphant entry, Lord, into, into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in the lives of your sons and daughters here today. Lord, not only in the classrooms with our children, but here, Lord, in the main auditorium. Lord, I pray that if there are some that do not know you, Lord, personally, as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would put their faith in you today. If there are some here that have walked away from you and have been living in sin, Lord, that they would turn from that. And Lord, that they would put their faith in you and follow you. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you now, Lord. Would you add your blessing to the reading and study of your word? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 29. This morning, as we will have a shorter service, don't worry, uh, for those of you that are watching the clock, point one is Jesus makes his way in. We only have two points this morning. Jesus makes his way in, and then we'll see the consequence or the reaction uh, that happens when Jesus comes into a situation. So point one, Jesus makes his way in, into Jerusalem, and hopefully into our lives. Luke chapter 19, verse 29, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus drew near Bethphage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, verse 30, Luke 29, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So, verse 32, those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. Now, maybe this person that owned this particular animal was a believer, a follower of Jesus. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe he wasn't. The point is, is that the disciples obeyed Jesus and accomplished what he sent them to accomplish. Now, I have to throw out this disclaimer, and it might be kind of sad that we have to throw out this disclaimer, but you have to. When you read this verse, the disclaimer is this. I wouldn't recommend going up and taking your friend's tacos de carne asada and say, the Lord has need of them. Or I don't think you should go into your neighbor's garage and take his car and drive it out and say, the Lord has need of this Tahoe as you steal it to take people to go to church. Okay, it's not the way that it works. In this particular situation, Jesus said, go into town, you'll find this cult. Even as I said, it would be, it will be there. And they did. See, Jesus is actually fulfilling prophecy. This is what happens. Prophecy is something that was said way before it ever happened prophecy written close to 500 years before what we're reading of in Luke chapter 19 took place the prophet Zechariah wrote this very thing 500 years may I say again before he said rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you he is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. 500 years before Jesus would ride in, which we celebrate today, before he would enter into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what would be known as Palm Sunday, the prophet Zechariah said, this is exactly what's going to happen. A lot of people ask, well, how do you know the Bible is true? You know, isn't it just a bunch of man-made rules and regulations to try to, you know, uh, keep society in this moral state of reform or, or, or what it, no, it's actually God's word. And that's why God, who is outside of time, can see things 500 years in advance and speak to somebody and they write it down so that even skeptics, people that are atheists, don't believe in the God of the Bible, don't believe in the Bible, can say, how in the world can they know that this would happen and find the parchments and the actual documents that date back 500 years before this actually happened? How can this work out to be so true? It's because it is of God. And so it was Sunday, the 10th day of what is called the month of Nisan, which would be the 6th day of April on our calendar, four days before Passover, that that perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would enter the city of Jerusalem just as Daniel had prophesied. Daniel, another Old Testament hero, prophesied in chapter 9, verse 25, and we'll read it in just a second, but that 483 years, listen, 483 years after the decree went forth to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, which we know rewinding time would have been March 14th, 445 BC, that the Messiah would arrive in Jerusalem. And Daniel 9.25, he writes, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And we know that the Verbiage that's used here in the scripture is actually referencing years. And so, the decree from whom? The Persian king Artaxerxes. You can read about this in your own Bible in Nehemiah chapter 1. Gave forth the decree to go and build Jerusalem. So, to the day. And this is what mind boggles people because how do I know that this Bible is really from God? Well, there's two practical things. History. The historical evidence of the Bible absolutely lines up with the history of mankind. Secondly, archaeological evidence that every place that the Bible says existed and and, and at the time it existed and, and where it was located in the geography of the world is absolutely in line with world geography. But the third thing that separates this from every other book in the Bible, knowing that this is God's word, is prophecy. For no man outside of time, there is no man outside of time that could see these type of things. It is only God and God alone who sees the beginning, who sees the end, and everything in between and can give that knowledge to his people that hear his voice. And that's exactly what we see today. So if you've ever wondered, I mean, is the Bible real? Whatever, open it up, read it, look at it. It is God's letter to us. In Luke 19, verse 36, it says, As Jesus went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. 
Sort of like today. Remember how we talked about worship needs to be loud and high, not quiet and low? You guys were worshiping God and praising His name in His house. It says the people were praising and singing and rejoicing for the great things that God has done. Luke 19, verse 38, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What a tremendous event this must have been. What a, what a, what you, I mean, if you could just be there to see what was happening. Unprecedented. This, this crazy, crazy scenario as Jesus was going to Jerusalem where he would eventually be betrayed and where he would eventually be mocked and scourged and where he would eventually die on the cross for the sins of all mankind. Matthew, in his gospel, he records this of the particular passage that we're reading about in Luke 19. He says, When Jesus came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I love how Matthew says that the whole city was shaken. They were moved. What in the world is this? Or even more importantly, who is this? Who is this? It was shaken. The city was shaken because Jesus was in the city. And not only that, the name of Jesus was being proclaimed. Not only that, the name of Jesus was being praised. And it's an amazing thing that happens in a society when a collective of people are praising Jesus publicly. And you remember from our study, Why Worship, how praise isn't just confined to the the four walls of the church. It's a lifestyle that we live. And when Christians are praising God, and when followers of Christ are worshiping Him, it shakes things up. The city's shaken when we praise the Lord and we live a life that glorifies Him. And then furthermore, it's such an amazing thing, and I... I I feel it was so appropriate this morning because it's such an amazing thing that happens in not only the lives of the individuals in a city, but in a family who has allowed Jesus in. A family, even as we saw the beautiful families that were up here this morning. A family saying, we are committing ourselves to raise our children unto the Lord. It's an amazing thing because of the breakdown of the family unit in our society today. It's so important. It's vitally important for families to stick together and to stay focused on the main thing, which is Jesus. Letting Jesus into your life personally will revolutionize your life. Letting Jesus into your family will transform your family. And then that extrapolates in your city, letting Jesus into the city, being out there and active and praying and serving and witnessing. When a government allows Jesus into their society, so to speak, then things radically change. This witness was city-shaking. Families allowing Jesus in. A city allowing Jesus in, worshiping the arrival of their Messiah. In Joshua 24, 15... Reading from the New Living Translation, it says, But if you refuse, Joshua speaking to the people that he was leading, he says, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. And that same statement that Joshua made is the same statement that I'm making to you today. 
That if you're not choosing to serve the Lord, then you are choosing to serve someone else. So you need to choose whom you will serve this day, today. And I hope that you would decide to serve nothing that's a counterfeit, that's a replacement, that's a substitute for the only one true and living God who sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Choose this day whom you will serve. If you've walked away from the Lord, come back to Him. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, and maybe it's been eons since you've stepped into a church, today's the day where you'll have that opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But Joshua doesn't just stop there and say, hey, you need to choose. You need to make a decision. You can't be indifferent because to not choose is to choose. He says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I'm hoping that you heads of your households decide that you and your family will serve the Lord. But it starts with you first. And then our family follows after that. In Proverbs 20, verse 7, it says, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So here comes Jesus coming into the city, and the city was shaken. People are praising him, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As we sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, welcoming the Messiah, the King of Israel. It says in verse 39 of Luke 19, some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if they should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Man, imagine that. Creation crying out. Breaking forth in praise. He says, if these guys stop singing, even the rocks will cry out. The rocks crying out here. Luke chapter 19 is where the phrase rock on originated from. Way before anybody thought, yeah, guitar, drums, rock on, bro, or whatever. No, this is what happens. If Jesus said, if these guys be quiet, every creation, every part of creation, these stones will cry out. And as he drew near, he saw the city. And this is a very interesting part, and that's why I chose Luke chapter 19 as opposed to the other gospel accounts, it says, as Jesus drew near, verse 41, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. In verse 44, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jerusalem, the city of peace, even though there's this glorious welcome, this city of peace was rejecting the Prince of Peace, Almighty God. Jesus wept over the city's rejection of him even as he weeps over us who reject his forgiveness and love today. He wept because he knew that that rejection led to destruction. And guys, that's what happens in our lives. We reject Jesus. It only leads to destruction. And Jesus wept, it says, 
from Josephus, a Jewish historian. I'm going to read this to you so that you can know exactly what happened. Some years later, after Jesus was crucified, Josephus writes, and I quote, All hope of escaping was now cut off from the Jews, together with their liberty of going out of the city. Then did the famine widen its progress and devour the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms of women and infants that were dying by famine in the lanes of the city were full of dead bodies of the aged. The children also and the young men wandered about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with the famine and fell down dead wheresoever their misery seized them. For a time, the dead were not buried, but afterwards, when they could not do that, they had them cast down from the wall into the valleys beneath. And when Titus... You know, that great Roman leader, on going his rounds along these valleys, saw them full of dead bodies and the thick putrefaction running about them. He gave a groan and spreading out his hands to, to heaven, called God to witness that this was not his doing. End of quote. Eventually, the empire of Rome would attack Jerusalem, surround it, build an embankment about it, just as Jesus said, and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the majority of the people that were inside of it. Children, women, young, old. People just thrown over the wall because there was dead bodies everywhere. Jesus wept. You guys are missing your chance. You're, you're going to reject the very thing that was prophesied saying that it would bring forgiveness and, and, and joy and peace and life, and you are going to reject it. Jesus wept over that. Even for those of us that are here today or watching this online, that you would be in a place where you would reject the greatest gift ever given to mankind, Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Savior of the world, who, sent, who was sent to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Even though there would be a great rejection, Jesus goes in in His entrance in lead 2.2, sin making its way out. When Jesus comes in, sin goes out. In verse 45, it says, After Jesus arrived into the city, He went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The first thing, one of the first things Jesus does after his triumphant entry is to clean out his house. People that were ripping people off in God's house. People that wanted to offer a sacrifice to the Lord couldn't just pay their normal currency. They had to use the temple currency. And then the money changers would charge exorbitant uh, uh, rates for exchange. Profiting, ripping God's people off. Buying, selling. You couldn't just, you know, bring your offering to the Lord. It had to be approved and it had to have the stamp on it. You know, sort of like if you go to amusement parks, you know, you can't bring in your food. And then you want to buy food, it's like $30 for a hot dog. Ripping people off. See, the crime here was that these people were using people's sincere desire to worship the Lord to exploit them and make a ridiculous profit off of them. When Jesus comes into a situation, it exposes sin. It exposes what is wrong. 
When you have anything in your life and you stand it next to Jesus, it will show you whether that is of God or is not of God, meaning it is either righteous or it is sinful. When Jesus comes into a house, he cleans it. When Jesus goes in, sin must make its way out. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so today, as we celebrate that triumphant entry of Christ known as Palm Sunday, the waving of palm branches, which, you know, some 200 years prior signified freedom from oppression, freedom from slavery. We see that we rejoice over the fact that we are free from the oppression of sin and that we are free from that taskmaster, that slave driver that has controlled our lives before Christ. His triumphant entry. Triumphing over what? Triumphing over sin. That it should no longer hold us, but that we should be set free, that we should be victorious, that we should be forgiven. Forgiven of our sins. Cleansed from all unrighteousness. Filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't going through the routine. This isn't meant to be try to do enough good things to outweigh your bad deeds. This is why Jesus came. This is why they said, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm hoping that somewhat today, you're shaken up a little bit. If you're not walking with Jesus especially. If you don't know Him, that you would understand how much He loves you and that Jesus came to die on the cross for you. You might say, well, man, I've done a lot of bad things, man. You don't know the kind of stuff that I've done. Well, you know what? You're right, I don't. But I know that God does. And is that a major bummer for you or what? No, actually it's not. Because God knows every sin that you have ever committed and will ever commit. And He's still knowing all of that. The things that you might not even be able to stand yourself for, Jesus still, He still sent His Son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Your sin, right now. So that you might know Jesus personally. That you might be forgiven of that sin and start a new life today. 